Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. the final sermon in the Ephesian study, which we've done, uh, been doing for the last few years, and also the Colossian study. It happens to be that we're at a point where uh, it's just basically the final remarks or the final um, greetings that Paul makes. And there's a few, quite a bit of good stuff that we can draw out from from those final uh, passages. What I might do, I won't read the Colossians passage because it's a bit long, but we will read the Ephesians passage together. So if you can turn to Ephesians 6, 19 to 24. And it says this, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Verse 21 says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. And then the final part of this whole book is peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. What a brilliant uh, paragraph to end on. It's, that's amazing. Now, Colossians has some very similar passages as well because as far as I can tell from the studies I've done is Colossians and Ephesians were written at very similar times from prison uh, by Paul. Um, and so you get mention of the same people, like Tychicus is mentioned in both Ephesians and Colossians uh, and so on. So um, you get some similar things being said in both of those letters. So let's just have a quick breakdown. Verse 19 to 20 is Paul's prayer requests for himself. He asks them to pray for him in relation to a couple of things. Verse 21 to 22, he sends Tychicus to encourage others or that the church that he was writing to, in this case, the Ephesians. He's sending Tychicus to the Ephesians to encourage them and to let them know how he's doing. Then verse 23 to 24 is the final remarks where he says, peace, love, faith, and grace. This is like an overview of what he's saying there, that he's praying peace over them, he's praying love over them, faith, and grace. Now, just an overview of the Colossians as well. The passages will be read out as I do the sermon. But verse 2 says to be devoted to prayer. Verse 3 to 4 is Paul's prayer requests for himself, which is similar to the Ephesians. Verse 5 is that we should be wise and make most of opportunities with unbelievers to tell them about the gospel or tell them about Jesus. Verse 6 is to always be full of grace towards those same people. Verse 7 to 9 is set out to encourage others, and in this same encouraging thing is uh, he mentions Tychicus, who is sending to them to encourage them. 
and to tell them how he is. Verses 10 to 11 are some final greetings. He mentions a number of people who just look at a few of the people that he mentions. Verse 12 to 13 is that we should wrestle in prayer for the saints. He speaks of, of, I think it was Epaphras, who wrestles in prayer for all the saints. And verses 14 to 18 are the final greetings, another group of final greetings. He talks about that we should all complete the work assigned to us. Ephesians 6, 19 to 20, and this is the Amplified. And pray also for me that freedom of utterance may be given me. So freedom of utterance, the freedom to speak without restriction. Who has trouble when sometimes when you try to speak to someone about God and you find that you get tongue-tied and you can't string your words together? Who has that trouble sometimes? When you know that if you could just say it the way William Lane Craig said it or the way Ravi Zacharias said it, if you could just have access to their words, it would be powerful, but you don't and you stuff it all up, you know? So that's what he's praying for. Pray also that I may be given freedom of utterance. So Paul needed that freedom to speak, uh, that I may open my mouth to proclaim boldly. We want to proclaim it boldly. We don't want to proclaim it, you know, uh, in a way that people think, man, you guys are blind. You're ignorant. How can you believe this mystical garbage? You don't want to proclaim it in a way that people think, you know, who are you? You know, and what's this garbage you're talking about? You know, when Jesus spoke, it says that he had an authority in his speaking. And the Pharisees were saying, where did he get this authority? And all he did was speak, and they think, wow, he speaks like a, a you know, someone greater than a president. You know, he speaks so boldly, so confidently that people stopped and took notice. Like, who is this guy? You know, wouldn't it be good to be able to speak? And when you speak, you're so influential that people stop and pay attention. You know, so that's what we've got to pray for. And we've got to to pray for each other to have that gift because that's what he's asking. He's asking the Ephesians, please pray this over me, that I may open my mouth to proclaim boldly the mystery of the good news, which is the gospel, for which I am an ambassador. An ambassador is one who's sent out and represents a body. In this case, he's representing the kingdom of heaven. He's representing Jesus Christ. He's an ambassador. In a coupling chain in prison, meaning he's, he's chained up, he's in prison, and he wants to still. So from prison, he's asking, you know, help me to speak boldly in his name. And you think about it. If you were in prison, you know, locked away, solitary confinement, you know, would you be thinking, like, you know, Give me boldness to speak boldly in the name of Jesus. You'd be saying, just let me out of here so I can speak to at least someone. So Paul had a far greater view of the opportunities that he had being in that situation because he knew he was going to be brought before kings and governors and, you know, high officials all in the name of Jesus. And that's the, the opening that he saw himself having by being in prison. Actually, he was going to get brought before Caesar. You know, I haven't read any uh, reports yet in the Anti-Nicene Fathers about what happened when Paul got before Caesar, but it, I'm hoping to find something. I'm sure there are some writings or something there. We'll see. I'm working my way through the Anti-Nicene Fathers. I'm not very far in, by the way. <laughs> For which I'm an ambassador in chains and coupling chain in prison. Pray that I might declare it boldly and courageously as I ought to do. And why do you think he needed to uh, have courage to proclaim it? 
It's because every time he did proclaim it, he got persecuted. He got, you know, stoned. He got put in prison. He got lashes. He got beat up in crowds, riots. They pummeled him. They were pummeling him to death when the Roman guards found him in, um, uh, where was that, in Ephesus, I think. And he was getting pummeled. They were bashing him to death. And the guards pulled him out of that. You know, so he needed to have courage to do it. And even today, you know, really, to speak boldly in the name of Jesus, you need courage. So pray, and we should pray for each other to have that same courage. Colossians 4.2, be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in your prayer life, being both alert and intent in your praying with thanksgiving. So here he's just saying that we should be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in our prayer life. Who's, who could say in your spirit that you're steadfast in your prayer life? Right, I think that is the weakest part of Christians today. Christians today are very unsteadfast in their, Christian, in their prayer life. They find praying the hardest part of being a Christian. They find getting into a routine of prayer. They might do it for a week or two and then it falls off. And so many Christians probably don't pray at all. I've even heard pastors who say, uh, you know, the prayer part of, of ministry, that's, I leave that to the prayer warriors in our prayer meetings. Uh, I'm not called to pray, pray, I'm called to preach. They have that sort of attitude. But really everyone is called to prayer. And everyone has got to wrestle with that and say, okay, Lord, how do I pray better? How can I get into a routine of prayer? How can I be a true Christian? How can I make that connection with you on a daily basis? And how can I do it so powerfully that it not only changes my life, but it changes lives all around me because I'm doing that? Because the fact of the matter is, unless we're in prayer, we won't have an impact on people. We'll have a slight impact. We might infuriate them, (laughs) you know, when we bring up the gospel, or we might uh, stir them into thinking a little bit more about things. But I've of the biographies I've read of the men of God that have really changed and transformed lives, it's their prayer life was the most important part of their Christian walk. So Colossians 4.2 says, be earnest. You know, think of earnest as, you know, you've got to earn it. Be earnest. <laughs> be earnest and unwearied. Who gets wearied when they pray? Try praying. Just try, just try praying for, you know, 20 minutes straight. And by around 10 minutes, you're starting to get wearied. Now, he's telling us to be unwearied. Now, you think about that for a second. Just say you don't run. You don't run very, very much, uh, very much at all. And all of a sudden, you say, I'm going to go on a 10K run. And you just take off. What happens at about 5Ks? You, <laughs> blisters, you, get, uh, you get wearied. You get really, really exhausted. And the next 5Ks is pain. You know what I mean? When you're not conditioned for it. So how do you train yourself? Oh, I just I gave you the answer. Um, how do you live a prayer life or walk out a prayer life where you do get unwearied? Practice. Practicing it, doing it. Yeah, yeah, just get good at it by doing it regularly. The more regularly, regularly you do it, the better you get at it, the less wearied you get, the more you got to say to God, the more you, you, know, you find this, this, you know, 20 minutes is not enough time. You know what I mean? You find that, you know, you need 30 minutes to do your prayers. Then you need 40. It's just like as you get better at running, you find 20-minute run. If you're a long-distance runner, is not enough time. You need 30, you need 40, you need 50 minutes and so on uh, to get a good workout. So 
Um, think of it from that, those perspectives. So be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in your prayer life. Steadfast means stand strong in it. Say, be that strong and disciplined in your life that you say, okay, I'm, I'm a prayer warrior. Every day I'm going to pray and I don't care what happens in my life. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be strong and committed to this. I'm not just going to let that every uh, a day go past where I don't pray. You know, get strong and steadfast in that. Be both being both alert. There's a good one when you're praying because it's very easy to slip into a stupor. You know, you sort of start to get weary and tired, and you just sort of, you know. But you want to be alert and intent. Be intent. Be determined. That you're going to get through certain prayers. It's good sometimes to have prayer lists in the sense of points that you should pray about. It just keeps you going, keeps you, keeps you alert when you're praying. And always do it with thanksgiving. You know, I remember many prayers. I start saying some thanks to God for the blessings in my life. And man, when you start saying, count, counting on the blessings, the Holy Spirit starts revealing more and more things that you can be thankful for. And there are heaps, heaps and heaps and heaps of things you can be thankful for. All right, so keep that in your mind as you're going through your prayer time. As Ephesians 6, 19 to 20 spoke of uh, Paul asking the Ephesians to pray for him, that he will have more boldness and courage to proclaim the gospel. Look what it says in Colossians 4, 3 to 4. And it says, at the same time, pray for us, Paul and his companions, that God may open a door to us for the word which is the gospel, to proclaim the mystery concerning Christ. So he again, he's praying, help us for a door of opportunity to open up where we can proclaim the mystery concerning Christ the Messiah, on account of which I am in prison. He's in prison for this, that I may proclaim it fully and make it clear. The other one was saying that he doesn't, you know, so his mind doesn't get confused so he can string the words together, you know, well, and he, here is a very similar thing, that I may say it clearly so people understand me. It's so important that people understand what you're saying. Speak boldly. So again, he needed to, he asked for that boldness to proclaim it and unfold that mystery. So guys, we've got to pray for each other in relation to this, that we can declare the gospel fearlessly and boldly with great courage, as is my duty. And he knew it's his duty to do that. Is it the duty of every Christian? Yeah? If you get a job and you, you rock up on your first day, you might not use these exact words, but you would basically say to the manager who's showing you around, what's my duty? What am I to do? And you say, you're in charge of this area, this area, you have to do this every time you come here, and you've got to do that, 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 that. That's your duty. That means if you rock up to work and you don't do your duty, what happens? Yeah, you won't be uh, at that job for very long. And here, our duty is to proclaim the gospel boldly. And you know what? Do you know how many Christians are going to rock up on Judgment Day? And God's going to say, do you realize that was your duty? You got to preach to you. How many times you were told you had to do it, you had to do it, you had to do it, and you just ignored it? You know, how many Christians, uh, you know, and that's where I believe that scripture will be fulfilled. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform all kinds of miracles? And Jesus is going to say, get away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Same as an employer will say, get away from me. Get out of my, my shop or my workplace because you have not performed your duty. You know, that's why when I 
uh, every time I ring Bill, I just say to Bill, so who have you spoken to today? <laughs> and every day, well, you know, just about, isn't it? He's speaking, he's speaking to people, finding opportunities. Someone says, you know, oh, my God, you know, something like that. And Bill says, oh, you're a Christian. You know, he just finds opportunities to enter into um, conversations. So it's your duty. Okay? So you know that. But I'll tell you again another another day. Anyway, Ephesians 6, 21 to 22, and I want you to see these parallels here. It says this, Now that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord and his service, will tell you everything. So he wanted the Ephesians to know how he's doing. And so obviously uh, the letter that he's writing now would probably have been brought with Tychicus, I'd say, because, um, you know, scholars might refute me on that, but you would just imagine he's writing it out here and, and he's sending Tychicus to them. He's written a letter. Here you go. He's going to read it out to you so you know how I'm doing. Uh, or, and he's going to explain a whole heap of other things that aren't in the letter, like different troubles that Paul was having at the time. And he will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may console and cheer and encourage and strengthen your hearts. I'll just tell you a little bit about Tychicus. Uh, he's a, an Asiatic Christian who, with Tro, Trophimus, accompanied the Apostle Paul on a part of his journey from Macedonia to Jerusalem. He is also alluded to have been with Paul in Rome, where the Apostle sent him to Ephesus, probably for the purpose of building up and encouraging the church there. So in the New Testament, he's mentioned five times. In Acts 20, verse 4. In Ephesians 6, 21. In Colossians 4, 7, which we're about to read. Titus 3, 12 and 2 Timothy 4.12. So he's obviously a, a regular companion. And he probably, because uh, Acts was only, I think, a small part of his first, or just his first missionary journey, but he had many. But what was Tychicus's purpose? It's to encourage, wasn't it? Encourage. Do you know how important encouragement is in church? And do you know how few Christians know how to encourage? You know? Isn't it good, you know, when you play piano, you play a piece of music, isn't it great when people at the end go, gee, that was fantastic. It doesn't make you feel good. It makes you feel great. Yeah, I must be doing something half good because they're giving me encouragement. And if you do an assignment, you get a good result and people pat you on the back and well done. You know what I mean? Encouragement is so critical. But Christians are... From the experiences I've had, I'm not saying this is this worldwide phenomenon or whatever, but I know that the Christians that I've met are some of the worst encouragers. Actually, if anything, there's that tall poppy syndrome. They want to tear you down rather than build you up. They don't want to make you feel like you're any any good because then you might get a big head. You know, that's the Australian syndrome, isn't it? Can't say you're doing really well. You get a big head and then you'll just think, who are you? You know. So what you're doing is... If you don't encourage someone, you could be held responsible for that person not fulfilling what they're meant to fulfill in God. But if you learn to encourage, you could be responsible for being the person that actually helped them to fulfill. And therefore, you, your treasure will be part, or the, their treasure will be part of yours as well, because you had a part in doing that. You know? And I can say, like, you know, uh, pretty clearly that uh, two of my biggest encouragers 
um, for actually just the way it's commented on things that, that have been done would be, of course, Vina, my wife. She's a big encourager in my life. And, of, and Bill. He just, just many times he's come along and he's, you know, read, like he was a catalyst in me uh, uh, publishing my first book. He read a part of the manuscript with me and he just said, Rob, what's this doing on your computer? Why isn't this in book form? Why is this out? That's, this is stuff is, you know, gold. <coughs> Got to get it out there. So, you know, encouragement is a, is a critical part of fulfilment. Now, if Bill didn't actually say that bit of encouragement, if he didn't come and point this out to me, if he didn't take the interest in me to look at that and see those things, then I wouldn't be standing here today. We would not have an internet ministry. We wouldn't have a church. I wouldn't have three books out there. You know what I mean? It'd be a very different. I'd be a very different Christian now. But can you see how encouraging is critical to someone's success? So keep that in mind. Always encourage each other. Always get behind each other and, and build each other up. It's so important. Don't think, you know, uh, someone come, comes up in church and, and delivers a message and afterwards when you're standing there with them and just ignore the fact that they did it and say nothing. Just go up and say, gee, that was great. I really got a lot from that. Thank you. You know, some of the, the best encouragers I get from on YouTube is like um, Toots for Jesus, Tammy, uh, uh, Tammy Levesque. Um, I, I've got a guy, Chuck, who always, every time I send him a video, he always writes a paragraph back or two or three sometimes and just points out things that he loves about what I've said um, and, and then thanks and a whole range of things. And he, he shares a few things with me. And that is such an encouragement. And then there's so, so many others that you would, would speak on there. There's a, a, a guy, um, Brian Galloway. Um, and uh, trying to think of names now. Um, I should have had a list of them. Um, Nagol, he's another great one that has always said words of encouragement. Uh, there's Mick Alexander. Um, sorry if I'm missing you guys out because there's so many of you, um, but uh, just thank you for all your encouragement. You've been uh, magnificent to the ministry. So keep sending through nice comments. That's <laughs> I need a few of them. Colossians 4, 7 to 9. Remember, Ephesians 6, 21 to 22, Paul mentions Tychicus. Here he does again. Tychicus will give you full information about my affairs. He is a much-loved brother and faithful ministering assistant, a fellow servant with us in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are faring and that he may comfort and cheer and encourage your hearts. He's going to encourage them. And with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of yourselves. They will let you know everything that has taken place here in Rome. So he's in Rome, in prison. So Onesimus, was, whose name means useful, isn't that interesting? Uh, and if you remember in the letter to Philemon, he said Onesimus is useful to me. Now, I don't know whether his name actually meant useful when he was given his name or whether because Paul said he's of use to me, um, that he became useful. <laughs> the name became useful. So you don't know how the origins of the meanings could, could have come about. But anyway, it, he means, uh, Onesimus means useful. And he's also called Onesimus the Byzantium in some churches and the holy possible Onesimus in some Eastern Orthodox churches. He was a slave to Philemon, if you remember, of Colossae, a man of Christian faith. And that's why this... He's writing to the church of 
uh, Colosseum. And that's where um, Onesimus came from because he was a slave to Philemon who lived in Colosseum, a man of Christian faith. He may be the same Onesimus named by Ignatius of Antioch as Bishop of Ephesus as well, who he may have become that. They're not sure of the link there. Okay, and Ephesians 6.23. This is the final part of Ephesians to f- complete the Ephesians study, so I'm, gl- I'm sure you're all really glad that I'm finishing that. 6.23 to 24, it says, Peace to the brethren and love joined with faith. So he's praying this over them. Peace to the brethren, peace to you all, and love joined with faith. Faith without love is useless. Yes. Yeah, of no good. Yeah, but joined with faith, love joined with faith. From God the Father... And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Grace, which is God's undeserved favour, be with all of you. Isn't that good that he says that? Grace, undeserved favour, be with all of you. Because none of you deserve it, but I'm praying that you have it. Be with all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying and incorruptible love. An incorruptible, undying love. And he prayed that over the Ephesians. And that's, that's an amazing final prayer. Now I'm just going to keep on moving forward. Oh, there's a scripture that I sort of related with that 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. And that's where we got the, that, you know, faith without love you know, is like a, it's just, it's, it's no good to anyone. So you can, and I know a lot of Christians, again, I'll use some Christians as an example, you know, claim to be full of faith, full of belief in God and everything, but they show no love and so they come across as hard and arrogant and bitter even. You know, make sure we mix our faith with love so that it can actually reach people because love reaches people. Amen? Yep. All right, so wisdom <clears throat> with opportunities. Now, Colossians 4.5, it says this, Behave yourselves wisely, living prudently with discretion in your relations with those of the outside world, the non-Christians. So we've got to behave ourselves. You know, too many Christians don't behave behave themselves in the world. We've got to behave ourselves. And, you know, it's very easy not to. We're like disobedient children and we, you know, many times we should be going to God and asking him for forgiveness for the way we've acted. But we've got to behave ourselves. Uh, in our relations with the outside world, the non-Christians, making the very most of the time and seizing and buying up the opportunity. And what that means is you might be out to dinner with someone who's, you know, um, completely against God and you can either just ignore that fact and just go on and and eat. And, And there's times when you have to do that too. There's times when you're out with people like that, you've got to do that. You can't just be preaching at them all the time, non-stop, non-stop, because eventually they don't want to see you ever again. So you've got to develop friendship, you've got to develop that rapport with them, but also you've got to take up opportunities, you've got to look for opportunities to share the gospel at the right time. Let the conversations evolve into that. Try to steer conversations around that so when you enter in, it's not you preaching, it's a discussion that you both want to have. Because you know what, when it comes down to it, there's always a point in everyone's life where they want to have a discussion about those matters. But it's the way that you enter in will create the success of that time. If you come in and preach hard and arrogantly against them, then that's going to be a terrible time. But if you enter in through a shared interest, 
you know, then you can actually have success. So always buy up opportunities, seizing opportunities. And James 1.5 says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, because we need wisdom to do this, don't we? Let him ask God who gives us all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So ask for the wisdom to do it. It's uh, very difficult to reach people. It says, he who wins souls is wise. So if you, if you can't win souls, actually, firstly, put up your hand if you believe you've actually led someone to the Lord. Okay, now, if, and if you've led 10 people to the Lord, all right, we, we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to ask God for wisdom. We need to help them, help people to find him. And we need a lot of wisdom, don't we? So ask, who gives us generally without reproach? And without reproach, reproach simply means God won't hold your ignorance against you if you seek his wisdom. So you might be ultra ignorant now, but he won't hold that against you. He's going to give you wisdom because you've asked him. Okay? And it will be given to him. So keep that in mind. Amen? Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech at all times be gracious, pleasant, and winsome. And winsome is attractive or appealing. Seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may never be at a loss to know how you ought to answer anyone. You never want to be at a loss when you're talking to people about Jesus. You always want to know how to answer all their questions adequately. So you've got to have God's wisdom, but you've also got to do your research. You've got to know the Word of God. You've got to know your apologetics. You've got to know how to talk to people and answer their tough questions because there's people who are going to put questions to you, aren't they? Uh, 1 Peter 3.15, which is the classic apologetic uh, scripture, it says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Sanctify him there. Say Christ is Lord. Amen. Who sanctified Christ in their hearts? Put your hand up if you've sanctified him in your hearts. He's got to be there. All right. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Every time someone asks you about why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in God? Have an answer. Who could give just a clear answer, like just off the top of your head right now? Who could? Yeah? You could give a reasoned answer. What, Steph? Tess? If someone said, why are you a Christian? James? You could sort of pop out a few points. That's good. Think about that because you're going to get people that are going to ask you, why do you have this hope? And and the reason they're going to ask you that is because they're going to say evolution is the truth or something crazy like that. Yeah, so you need to have an answer. Now, that is going to be some sermons I'm going to be doing uh, coming up. I want to look at, uh, I found a site, or Bill sent me a site. Um, What was it, 50 Reasons Why God is Imaginary? I think it was. Or 100 Reasons or something like that. I don't know if I'm going to uh, tackle every single one because it's... You know, could take me the next 10 years maybe. But I'm going to definitely go into the, some of the uh, key points that this guy's making. Um, one of the things I've found with that is he, he just makes blatant statements um, and just says you're foolish to believe otherwise. Sort of like Richard Dawkins, you know, he speaks. He says he, he doesn't really convince you fully that God doesn't exist. He just basically makes you feel like if you believe that, you're an idiot because he keeps telling you, you must be a fool to think like that. You know what I mean? And that to me isn't valid 
argument. Flying spaghetti. Yes, flying spaghetti monsters. Come on, man. You know, what are we dealing with? We're not dealing with flying spaghetti monsters or some, you know, ancient uh, mythological legend or something. We're dealing with the God that created all matter, the entire universe. You know, this is where the God who created DNA, who created everything that is and, and the systems of our body and the cellular cells of our body and, and put it all together in such a brilliant design. That's the God we're talking about. We're not talking about these crazy spaghetti monsters that Richard Dawkins is talking about. It's a childish, stupid... You know, they say, you know, believing in God is like believing in the tooth fairy in Santa Claus. And I've heard answers to that, and my answer to that is, you know, you show me one adult who's ever turned into Santa Claus at, an, at a mature age and said, I believe in you, Santa. We all stop believing in Santa Claus at, at a certain age, don't we? Five, six, seven. The kids stop believing in that. They stop believing in the tooth fairy around the same time. No one converts to belief in a tooth fairy. But the amount of people in mature age who through rational reason, reasoning or through encounters or through whatever have turned to God in maturity. So that destroys that stupid argument. Because it is. It's just a foolish argument. I was going to say, the thing with that website also, you've got to think of the audience that will be going to a website yeah. like that. That's all they. That's all what they already believe. Yeah. yeah. So it appeals to the people that only know that stuff. Um, and see, you know, the thing is, is if you know fully both sides of the fence, you can make a good, you know, uh, honest judgment. Now the thing is, is a lot of atheists they only really know their side of the fence. They won't venture into the other side. The only way they venture into the other side is through the teachings they receive, their indoctrination to believe that way. Over here is all the apologists and all the, you know, uh, doctrinal teachings of Christianity, but they don't go and read that purely, as in try to absorb the fullness of its content. They will only read their authors, Sam Harris and... Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, and that's all the modern ones and all the older ones. They only read that stuff, and they understand this stuff from their perspective. So when you come at them with our perspectives and say, hey, you know, you haven't considered this, they say, oh, yeah, well, Sam Harris said this, or Richard Dawkins said Spaghetti Monster, you know, and that's their way of combating it, and it's, it's very difficult. The thing is, is usually Christians that convert in older age understand that side because that's where they lived <laughs> you know what I mean but then they through whatever reason they've stepped over to this side they've started absorbing this side and once they've absorbed that side they can't turn back to that one do you know what I'm saying then all that stuff sounds so futile so foolish so ignorant you know so that's why it's so important to know that side well. I think I've made the point. Yeah. Clear. I was going to say, also important for Christians to know the other side. Too. Well, some Christians who have just been brought up Christian, never know anything else, should go and, you know, look into that stuff. Um, and the churches falling apart because all the kids are going up. Well, oh, yeah. well, actually, personally, the best way for a Christian who's uh, a kid that's grown up as a Christian is to read apologetic books. Um, be, and I know that's probably a little bit more like being in this side and reading books from this side that tells you about that side. 
But what it always helps you to do is to you hear their argument because a lot of churches don't teach apologetics, do they? They don't teach you how to defend the faith. They don't teach you reasoned arguments, and there are so many. They don't teach you reasoned arguments to believe and it, that, that faith in God is, just not, is not blind faith. Actually, faith in God is reasoned logic that gives you faith. Do you know what I'm saying? So uh, you should know your apologetics well. Then when you go and read all their stuff, you can see through it really clearly. You just read it and go, oh, yeah, right, this guy. You know, so it is a little bit like that. You know? But that's why guys like C.S. Lewis is a good one because he was an atheist for many, many, many years before he turned to Christianity. And he only knew that side and then he turned to Christianity and he could refute that side so easily through his, his faith in God and the logic of, of believing in a creator who designed everything that is. All right, so let's keep going. 1 Peter 3.15, I'll read it again. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And yet you do this with gentleness and reverence. Now, that is, that is a hard one. You've got to do it with gentleness and reverence towards the people you're speaking with. You know, I stuff that up, you know, from time to time. You know, I'm getting better and better at it. Um, as I've said, you know, because Bill's the big, the guy that reaches out to a lot of people, I've seen him do it, and he can keep his cool unbelievably. You know, when people are flying off the insulting arguments, you know, and talking down, he'll just be cool. doesn't care. It doesn't phase him. So, you know, we've got to be like that. Talk with gentleness and reverence. No, that's right. Colossians 4, 10 to 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, wishes to be remembered to you as does Mark, the relative of Barnabas. We all know about Barnabas. He's a, a missionary companion to Paul, the son of encouragement. He's an amazing, amazing man. And there's plenty of references to him in the book of Acts and elsewhere. Um, but Aristarchus is a Greek Macedonian of Thessalonica. That's in Acts 27.2. It calls him... Uh, uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, calls him a Greek Macedonian um, from Thessalonica. And he was an early Christian mentioned in a few passages in, of the New Testament. He accompanied St. Paul on his journey to Rome along with Gaius, another Macedonian. Aristarchus was seized by the mob at Ephesus and taken into the theatre. Remember that? Later, Aristarchus returned with Paul from Greece to Asia in Acts 24. And at Caesarea, he embarked with Paul on a ship to, of Edremit. Um, bound for Myra in Lycia, Acts 27.2, whether he travelled with him from there to Rome is not recorded. So Aristarchus was a regular companion with Paul on his missionary journeys, as was Barnabas and Mark. You receive instructions concerning him. If he comes to you, give him a hearty welcome. So he's preparing them. Say, get, you know, get ready to really give Aristarchus a good welcome when he comes because he's a, a great man of God. Um, it's like a reference, isn't it, this? And greetings also from Jesus, who is called Justice. These Hebrew Christians alone of the circumcision are among my fellow workers for the extension of God's kingdom, and they have proved a relief and a comfort to me. Okay, now let's have a look at just this guy, Epaphras, in Colossians 4, 12 to 13. So we're nearly finished now. He is one of yourselves, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always striving for you. Listen to this. We've all got to be like Epaphras. 
We all Christians should be like Epaphras. He says he's always striving for you earnestly in his prayers, pleading that you may, as persons of ripe character, so coming to fullness and fruition, clear conviction, standing firm, mature in spiritual growth, convinced and fully assured in the will, in everything willed by God. Fully assured. How many Christians are a bit flimsy? They're not sure. You know, that's why they start accepting Hindu beliefs and Islamic beliefs and, you know, a whole range of things. New age beliefs start to mix in there. I've heard Christians on Christian radio who are, who are going to fortune tellers and saying, look, you know, the spiritual realm is there and, you know, if we can tap into it, that's great. You know, they're not fully assured in everything willed by God. They're not completely understanding of what, how everything is. They're not Bible readers, obviously. For I bear him testimony that he has laboured hard in your, on your behalf and for the believers in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. So Epaphras was a Christian preacher who spread the gospel to his fellow uh, Colossian citizens. Uh, when And that was in Colossians 1, 7 and 4, 12. When Paul was a prisoner in Rome, Epaphras came to him with a favourable account of the church of Colossae. He remained with Paul in Rome and was in a sense his fellow prisoner. That's in Philemon 1.23. Paul bears witness to the struggling in his prayers for Colossae and his work and service there in Laodicea and Hierapolis in Colossians 4.12-13. Okay, so let's go to the final greetings. This is the final screen from the Colossian study. 4.14-18. And Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. Now, I just want to tell you about Demas. So it says here, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas salute you. All right. Demas appears to have been a man involved in the ministry as a companion of Paul. He was with Paul during his first imprisonment in Rome, but later when Paul wrote the second uh, second Timothy letter, he said that Demas had forsaken him. And it said, having loved this present world, and as he had having loved this present world, he abandoned Paul. Paul writes that Demas, as a result of his love for this present age, also sometimes translated world, left him and went to Thessalonica. And so this, this guy wrote here that this stands as a warning to all Christians that they should not love this world, its system that is opposed to God and his rule. They, we should not love this world. If you find yourself loving all the things that this world offers, like really getting into it, like getting excited about everything that the world offers, and I tell you what, if anyone's going to get excited about this world, it's this present generation because there is so much to get excited about. You know, I have to admit, I get excited about technology and the things that are coming and and all of that stuff. But we've got to be careful that what we get excited about is wholesome. You know what I mean? Like, I I love, you know, some recording software. Like, the latest Pro Tools system looks amazing. We're not getting it yet, Vina, don't worry. But, um, you know, there's some really good stuff out there, isn't there? But make sure what you get excited about is good, wholesome, righteous. Amen? And I think that's the best way to approach that that whole thing. And in 1 John 2.15, believers are challenged not to love this world, all the things of this world, and Demas is an example of one whose, life, whose Christian life should not, uh, or we Christians should not emulate his life. Someone who turns away from following uh, Jesus or, or at least accompanying Paul and helping him in, in the situations that he was in. 
Okay, so Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas salute you. Obviously, Demas was in Paul's good books at that time. Give my greetings to the brethren at Laodicea and to Nympha. Now, Nympha in the King James is, is considered a man. In just about every other translator is considered a woman. So we don't know exactly. Anyway, so, and to Nympha and the assembly, the church which meets in her house. So in this, in the Amplified, translated as her. But as I said, the King James doesn't. And when this epistle has been read before you, see that it is read also in the assembly, the church of the Laodiceans, and also see that you yourselves in turn read the letter that comes to you from Laodicea. So there was a, another letter there that we never, we don't have in at least our Bible. Be interesting to see if we if that letter still exists. Do you know of that, John? Haven't heard of it. All right, and say to Archippus, and I've done a little bit of study on Archippus. He's a Archippus in Greek means master of the horse. All right, and it was an early Christian. He was an early Christian believer. Mentioned briefly in the New Testament epistles of Philemon and Colossians. In Paul's letter to Philemon, in Philemon one two, Archippus is named once alongside Philemon and Aphia as a host of the church and a fellow soldier. So these names are mentioned elsewhere in, in Scripture, not just in this one book. So, And say to Archippus, from this letter, say to him personally, see that you discharge carefully the duties of the ministry and fulfill the stewardship which you have received in the Lord. Now, if the Bible says something to one person, it could just as well say it to everyone. You know, that's the way I see it. We've got to see that we discharge carefully the duties of the ministry. Discharging means doing the duties of the ministry and fulfill the stewardship. We are stewards of the gospel. We carry it. We take it to the people. No? We take it to the unbelievers in the world. Though which you have received from Paul. And then he says, I, Paul, at this final greeting, writing with my own hand, remember I am still in prison and in chains. May grace, which is God's unmerited favour and blessing, be with you. Again, he uh, praises grace over them. Amen, and so be it. All right. Now, just the conclusion, just to conclude the whole thing, just from this one section, we should pray for others, but also have others pray for you. So don't feel, uh, you know, shy to come up to me and say, Rob, can you pray for this for me? And either I'll pray immediately or we'll just I'll keep it in mind, but usually it's best to respond immediately. But also if it's a very important, important issue, we pray in, as a church for it as well. Like, you know, we pray for Scott Young. We pray for him because it's an important issue, yeah. that one. And there's a lot of others we pray for, don't we, in the church? All Christians are called to encourage each other. We're all called to encourage. You know, we're all called to come up and say, you know, that was great, what you did there, what you spoke about, how you read that or whatever. And, and just in different issues, you know, if you did well at school, you know, it's good to go up and encourage. But... You know, um, don't let yourself hold it all in and feel like, oh, I just want to go up and say you did well, but nah, forget that and keep on going. You know what I mean? Encouragement. And, and you know what? People absolutely love encouragers. If you get known as an encourager, you, you, you tend to find that people just like you. You know what I mean? Because who doesn't like someone who's going to say some nice things to them? <laughs> You know, so become an encourager and you, you straight away have an influence on people in a very positive sense. You know, all right. We are to bless others by praying peace, love, faith and God's grace over them. 
by praying that because that's exactly what, you know, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to be wise and full of grace with unbelievers, giving them adequate answers for the reason for the hope that we have. So we've got to know our apologetics, we, don't we? We've got to know how to stand a strong defence for the gospel. And we are to be like Epaphras and wrestle in prayer for the brethren. We've got to wrestle in prayer for each other and for the church at large and, and whatever comes into your mind. So, amen. I hope you all receive that. And that's the end of those two verse-by-verse uh, -verse studies. Yeah, so there's a lot of information just in that those last chapters. And, you know, when you read that part of the Bible, you tend to just sort of skip through because it's just final greetings. But, you know, there's a lot in there. And you know what? I, I, I went through fairly quick. I could have hung out on areas a lot longer, but our verse-by-verse -verse study will take 10 years instead of two years. You know, but um, and like the whole thing, I've sort of moved through fairly quickly. I do large slabs. Uh, that's just the way I like doing verse by verse studies. That way, it doesn't drag out forever. Revelation series. Oh yeah, it's, he's still got a long way to go. But I love that. It's still good. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's brilliant. All right. Well, thank you, God. Thank you for uh, these two studies that have been completed today, and we. Uh, we look forward to the studies that we're going to be in the future. This, I'm going to be doing a typology study, um, going through the Old Testament and bringing forth all the typologies uh, as they relate to Christ. Um, and, uh, and also this study, we're going to be doing um, a, just basically having a defense for this uh, website that we found. Um, that says that God's an imaginary God. So give me the wisdom and the understanding to do this. <clears throat> And, uh, Lord, I just thank you for this study and, and how much we got out of it. And I pray that you will just help all these sermons, maybe that uh, many of us here will go back and listen to them again, maybe download the entire series, which you can do on iTunes. You can download the entire Ephesians series and Colossians series and listen to them um, session by session in order. So I just pray that uh, you'll put in our hearts to want to get go through it again and get so much more out of it. So, Lord, just be with us now this week. Uh, bless everything that we do. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and uh, watch over us and protect us. And, uh, and, Lord, help our loved ones to come to know you. Help us to reach them uh, one by one and just bring them to an understanding of the faith and so that they would bow the knee to you and turn and be saved. So we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine and end times. Feel free to check them out.